Amen. And you may be seated. Say hello to somebody, somebody nearby. Amen. Once again, we thank you, one and all, for tuning in. We've got folks tuning in by Facebook and by YouTube from all corners of the world, and we thank God for you. And uh, this is an ever-growing audience, and I am asking you to help us with subscriptions. Let's get new subscribers all the time. Would you do it this month, before the end of the month? Would you forward the link to uh, our site uh, to everybody that you know and ask them to punch subscribe and to test drive us and just see what it's all about? Thank you to our faithful givers. We have tithes and, uh, and our faith promise on this little envelope, and they've been coming in faithfully. God bless you, each and every one of you all of you who give so faithfully. We have a special project. This, I think, is Project 7 now. Uh, during these uh, unusual times, since we've been live streaming, and Project 7, using the red writing love offering envelope, we write Zix at the, at the top, and uh, we are halfway to our goal already, just two weeks in. And praise the Lord. We're going to go the full eight weeks and raise all we can for supplemental support for the Zix so he doesn't have to drive Uber Eats, but rather they can go and win souls at open air venues. Praise the Lord. On the way out tonight, won't you stop and pick up your copy of this little chart, the day of the crucifixion. It shows that Jesus Christ did not die on a Friday. He died on a Wednesday. As the scripture says, three days and three nights, he was in the heart of the earth. And uh, then he arose uh, before light of day on what we call Sunday. So praise the Lord for the truth of the Word of God. And uh, you say, do you split a church over something like that? No, no, no. But we do stand for the truth. Now, when I texted everyone today on our YouTube viewers list, I promised that tonight I would make the world of flesh and the devil mad. But actually, that's not too unusual. I think we should do it tonight. Amen. We're not going to vote on that, by the way. We're going to make the world, the flesh, and the devil angry if we possibly can. But that should be normal for the Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church. Like Athanasius, who was told by Constantine the emperor that his position was a minority one and he couldn't possibly, couldn't possibly prevail. The, world, the whole world was against him. And Athanasius then replied, then Athanasius is against the whole world. And that's where we find ourselves tonight in terms of the trends of the society, this humanist society in which we find ourselves. Now, we love people. God loves people. We love souls. We love the souls of people. We want them all to get saved. And I would not be as confident in our strong stand for righteousness, for holiness, and decent standards in our society if I didn't also share that same conviction that I want to see all the folks that don't hold those standards get saved and turn around the right way. Amen. Amen. I believe God can save anybody who's still breathing. And I believe God wants to save them and He wants to turn things around. And so we need to be on our knees and praying for our, for our House of Representatives. They're confused. And our Senate. We're going to see what they do. And we're going to see what our president does. I pray for him every day. I feel so badly for him. I feel so sorry for him because I know that he is confused. And I pray that nothing 
uh, untoward happens there. But I am praying for all those in authority. I pray for our governor. I, I know he's confused. I pray for those people, those legislators at all levels that don't have a final authority like we have. I've got my Bible. And I'm praying for those folks to all get saved. And we're going to do everything we can to do that. In the meantime, we're just going to stir up as much as we possibly can. And we ought to drive the devil crazy if we can. We ought to kick him in the teeth if we can. And not quit, not back up, not let up, not give up. Be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Be steadfast unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For our labor's not in vain in the Lord, in the Lord. Amen. Amen, preacher. That's it. That's it. Tonight we're looking in Ephesians chapter 6. We're continuing. Last week we saw that God has a plan for the home. And God wants our children to be raised in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord, and that's to the third and the fourth generation. We have influence. We make an impression, an impact on, uh, on our extended families, and we need to continue to do that. You need to ask God to let you live as long as you can. You say, oh, but it hurts so bad, I want to go to heaven where it won't hurt. I do too. I want to go to heaven where it won't hurt anymore. But I'm willing to stay where it hurts for a while in order to make an impact or an impression upon my grandchildren and my eventual great-grandchildren if God will let me live that long. I want to make a difference in this world. It won't be long. We're going home. We're going to be in heaven. And every day will be Sunday by and by like the song goes. Amen. In the meantime, we've got some earthly responsibilities to care for. We've got to help our kids and our grandkids and our great-grandkids know that it's not about the money. Labor not, labor not for the meat that perisheth, but that which remains, Jesus said. We cannot serve God and mammon. We've got to make a choice. We want to leave that impression. I want them to say that uh, grandpa and grandma, or whatever they call us, had, uh, had heavenly values, not earthly values. We're strangers and pilgrims and sojourners in this land. Don't want to accumulate too much stuff because then you've got to drag it around. Praise the Lord, we can't take it with us. Amen. So we come now in chapter 6 to the next section. As Brother Jeff Fugate, our friend in Kentucky, has pointed out, it's true that whenever these relationships are shown in Scripture, it's always the lower level first. It's the children. Then it's fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. Provoke them not. And next it's about servants, and, and then it's going to be about masters. So we are in Ephesians chapter 6 now. Ephesians chapter 6. And please follow as I begin reading in verse number 5. Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling in singleness of your heart as unto Christ. It's obviously directed to saved servants. Not with eye service as men pleasers, 
but as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with goodwill doing service as to the Lord and not to men. How are we motivated? By Christ, not by man, not by dollars, not by benefits, not by the job description. Knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. Please underline that last phrase in verse 8. Because it blows out of the water everybody's uh, objection to our applying this to employees and employers. I have had some people who tried to say that this only has to do with the now almost completely defunct uh, institution of slavery and does not apply to labor relations nowadays. And I tell that person, what kind of school did you go to that you didn't learn how to read right? It says, look at this, whether he be what? Bond or free. So the relationship is not just about the institution of slavery, which was a fact. I know all the cancel culture people don't want us to mention all of those disgusting and difficult uh, institutions and problems of the past, but guess what? They're part of history. And uh, God has given us, God has given us the wherewithal to deal with the admission of mistakes and problems in the past and to deal with things, you know, what, what were and what, what are problems, and uh, it is what it is. That's it. God has enabled us to do that. I absolutely am horrified by, for example, the Trail of Tears, the abuse of the Cherokee and other Native American nations being, uh, being lied to and, and deceived and mistreated. And you say, oh, but they did terrible things. They scalped people and they did awful things and awful things were done to them and neither side was right. Both sides were wrong. But that does not give one powerful nation the empirical power to, to tramp them all the way across and drop them in the panhandle of Oklahoma and say, here you go, this is it, you get to live here. What a wonderful place. Well, my apologies to you in Oklahoma. I know about history. I know about the terrible things. I happen to know that men used to settle their differences by the stupid and disgusting practice of dueling. Choose the weapon. So many paces. You know? Like, I'd like to have, I'd like to have swords at 50 paces. That's a joke, folks. You can smile. And a lot of people died in that disgusting and stupid practice. That's not the way to do it. That's not the Christian way to do it. But they, they did it for integrity, for to prove their manhood or whatever it may be. It's a part of our history. We need to understand that uh, there have been times when we have been amazing and there have been times when we've just been amazed that, uh, that people actually did those sort of things. What we understand is this, that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect or complete, truly furnished unto all good works. Are you with me? Absolutely. Amen.
and amen. Then it says, now referring to the one further up on the uh, ladder, the pecking order, and ye masters, do the same things unto them, forbearing, threatening, knowing that your master also is in heaven, neither is there respect of persons with him. Now listen to me. Everybody ought to have a desire to work. And we can suggest some nutritional supplements that will help you. Everybody ought to have a desire to work. It is good for us. It's good for us to work and then be tired and then get our strength back and go work some more. That's what, that's what this life is all about. That's, that's what the process is. Now, I felt sorry for, do feel sorry, will feel sorry for people who cannot work, and we ought to take care of them. And the church ought to be a major part of that, but there, of course, is government that has taken on the job. And uh, so folks ought to be cared for who can't work. And I say this, those who won't work, the Bible has a prescription for them as well. We're going to see that a little bit later on. I believe in hard work. I am, even though we have a, a, an altered, adjusted schedule now, I'm busier now in many ways than I've been in the past. And even though the clock keeps ticking and the age keeps advancing, I, I seem to be good for it. And uh, I'm looking at my wife right now. I'm looking for affirmation. And I've got good energy level. And uh, even, though, even though things have changed, we've got a lot of, a lot of new things and extra things that we have to do in the ministry to cover all the bases. And, and people who say, well, let's go back to doing all those other things the way we did before and keep all of this. And I have to be two people to do that. But, you know, I just might, I just might clone myself. There you go. And that might happen. All right, wouldn't that be wonderful? I believe in hard work. I am a testimony to that. And I won't ask you to do anything that I wouldn't be willing to do myself. Uh, on, uh, on Rush Limbaugh's time slot today, I don't know who was, who was sitting. It Was it Todd Herman? Or was it the fellow from uh, Minneapolis? I don't know who was sitting in for him. But he was playing clips of Milton Friedman. How many of you know who Milton Friedman was? Milton Friedman was perhaps uh, America's top economist, and he was a uh, tried and true uh, American uh, free market and uh, anti-leftist, uh, just absolutely spot on when it comes to free market and free enterprise. But uh, they played a clip of Milton Friedman when he made an appearance on the Phil Donahue show. And Phil Donahue still doesn't realize it, but he got demolished. He got eaten for breakfast, lunch, and dinner by Milton Friedman because Milton Friedman had the goods, had, had the IQ, and had the goods, and had the evidence, and just absolutely showed up. But basically... Uh, Phil was coming at him by saying things like, do you think it's right in capitalism for people who are so greedy to have so much and other people don't? And Milton Friedman said, uh, I want you to think about communism and fascism and other places. People are more miserable than they are under capitalism. And what place doesn't have greed? And he just, he just posed the question. There's greed everywhere. 
Don't you think they have greed in Russia? Don't you think they have greed in China? And just put him in his place as far as uh, theories of economics go. And he, he showed, he demonstrated in a, in a very, and I, I said, I don't think Phil has figured it out yet. But uh, people demonize capitalism. And I have to say this, Christian capitalism, and I believe there is such a thing, Christian capitalism is not the enemy. It's not the enemy of the poor, not the enemy of people who have less. Christian capitalism offers the best opportunity on the planet to exercise our God-given gifts in the free enterprise system. It's the best opportunity that we have. There's nothing wrong with Christian capitalism. And I am adamantly opposed, not on political grounds, but on scriptural and moral grounds to the socialism that was creeping and is now galloping in our society. We need to stand for things that are biblical, things that are right in that area. The world's problem really is not an economic one. At the source of it is a spiritual problem. You say, well, preacher, wouldn't this do better as a Labor Day message? Yeah, it would be good. I think I'll pull it out and dust it off and preach it again. How's that? All right, so you pay, pay attention twice. But uh, it happens to be in the order of scriptures that we're studying, verse by verse, word by word. Whether it's the Old Testament or the New Testament, there is the problem of oppression. And we, as Christians, as believers, can address that oppression in many venues. For example, Leviticus 19.13. I've been doing a lot of reading in Leviticus, and we'll be bringing some messages. But it says in Leviticus 19.13, Thou shalt not defraud thy neighbor. Note that. Neither rob him. The wages of him that is hired shall not abide with thee all night until the morning. So don't, don't keep his payback. So much for withholding, right? Okay, moving on. Moving on. Deuteronomy 24.15. Deuteronomy 24, 15. At his day thou shalt give him his hire, neither shall the sun go down upon it, for he is poor, and setteth his heart upon it, lest he cry against thee unto the Lord. I don't want somebody praying to God against me because I withheld wages. Move on. Move on. Job 31, 13. If I did despise the cause of my manservant or my maidservant when they contended with me, and then Jeremiah 22, 13. Woe unto him that buildeth his house by unrighteousness and his chambers by wrong, that useth his neighbor's service without wages and give them not for his work. So don't take advantage of other Christians. And I will come near to you to judgment. This is Malachi 3, 5. And I will come near to you to judgment. I will be swift witness against the sorcerers and against adulterers and against false squares, against those that oppress the hireling, the person that's hired for their wages. So Paul is teaching in Ephesians chapter 6 on submission. And he deals with the duties involved in the relation between servants and masters, not just slaves and masters, but here it would be employees and employers because we have both bond and free in view. And the relations between labor and management 
are frequently bitter, and I would say they're bitter because we don't have the conditioning of the Word of God. We don't have the overriding understanding of the Scriptures in American society as we once did. You go back 100, 150 years, wherever the Word of God was preached and understood, there was a better understanding between various uh, individuals and relationships of, of, of work and uh, the work that they did. Dr. Ironside says we need to pay particular attention to the attitudes, to the spirit of this passage of Scripture. The Christian knows that he's got a master in heaven. And the master in heaven, of course, is our example. And so that's why we have these Scriptures throughout the Bible about work and workers and what they're supposed to do. But there's a whole book that has been dedicated uh, to this very subject. It's a little book of Philemon. It's tucked between Titus and Hebrews. It's one chapter long, 25 verses. I want you to turn there. Now here's the summary of the book. Onesimus was a rebellious pagan slave. We're not talking tonight, nor are we going to try to settle tonight, the institution of slavery. It was a fact in those times. In fact, in the city of Rome, there were four times as many slaves as there were freemen. So, let's not, let's not get sidetracked tonight. Onesimus is the runaway pagan slave. Philemon, the one to whom Paul is writing, the one for whom the book is named, was the owner. Now, Onesimus may have stolen money, gone out the door, run away to Rome, and guess what? There are no mistakes with God. He crosses paths with Paul, the prisoner, and guess what? He gets saved. He gets saved. So Paul sends him back to Philemon, his owner, and sends him with this letter. Now notice what it says in verse 18. If he hath wronged thee or oweth thee aught, put that on mine account. Verse 19, I, Paul, have written it with mine own hand, I will repay it. Albeit I do not say to thee how thou owest unto me even thine own self besides. So he's saying, it's on my account, I'll take care of it. Part of this world has rubbed off on us, so much so, that when it comes to a situation like this, there are some believers today who would think twice before they would say, put that on my account. Because after all, they've got everything all blocked out, and, and we should be organized, but not to a fault. We should be budgeted, but not to a fault. Because over and above our budgeting and our organization of our funds, we need to keep in mind who gave us the strength to earn and to make money? Who gives us the ability to work, the privilege to work? Who gives us the job and allows us to work those hours so that we can accumulate those funds and put them in the little pigeonholes that we put them in? That being the case, if we experience income and we have uh, more than what we need for food and raiment and a, and a roof over our head or whatever it is, then we need to be flexible because there might be an Onesimus 
or a situation where Paul and we would say, put that on my account. Put that on my account. How many times we cross paths with somebody, they need a Bible. A Bible costs some money. And it may be that a $5 award Bible in our bookstore might be sufficient. But then again, you might want to think about that and get that $30 reference Bible that's got the tabs so the new convert can find their way through when the preacher starts running all over the scriptures like he does. You say, but that's $30. $30, why, with $30 I could buy a roast. That's about what a roast costs, isn't it? Good size roast. I could buy a roast. Well, I think I could do without a roast, couldn't you? Give somebody a Bible? Somebody else gets saved and they've got a debt? I think I could do without that 50 or that 100. Think about it. Our answer, our feelings welling up inside, how dare you preacher talk about my money, kind of shows where, where thinking's at. Or it might be wrong. Paul says to Philemon, don't treat him like a slave anymore. Treat him like a brother. But he says, don't take advantage of that relationship now. God is no respecter of persons. Are you with me? What does that phrase, respecter of persons, mean? The Greek word is composed of two words, face and receive. God doesn't receive a man or a woman, boy or girl, based on the outward appearance, the outward circumstance, you know, our station in life, where we are in the pecking order. That's not how God looks at us. God looks at us in terms of what, we can become for Him. I'm glad that love, love covers a multitude of sins. Multitude of somebody else's sin and problems and so forth. Love covers sins. Proverbs 10, 12. 1 Peter 4, 8, love covereth the multitude of sins. 1 Corinthians 13, 7, love, love, love. We, we're seeing this consistently. If we've truly been saved and are the object of God's love, then shouldn't we reflect that love? So much so that money does not become the obstacle between us and the people with whom we work. Work is not in itself evil. There's a man down in Alabama. You remember him? Uh, the boyfriend of the gal in the office at the Christian school in Dothan. He'd come in. He was slow and lazy. And this is, listen, this is, I, I don't mean to offend. That man was an offense to slow and lazy people. That's how slow and lazy he was. And he said, I, I said, how, how are things? He said, not working. 
I said, I'm sorry. He says, don't be sorry. He says, he says work, work is part of the fall of man, part of the curse on mankind. I said, really? He says, yeah, that's why I read it. I said, well, I'll have to read it again. And I understand that in the curse, the labor would be intensified. But there is nothing from Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22-21 that says work itself or diligence itself is part of the curse. There was just an intense aspect added to it because of the curse. Work is actually a noble thing. And in 1 Thessalonians, let's go there in the New Testament. 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians and chapter number 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. It says in verse number 11, And that she studied to be quiet. Now there's an interesting course. Studied to be quiet. Wow. Got my diploma in being quiet. All right. And to do your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you. Instead of being busybodies and getting their nose into everything and causing problems for everybody else. Go over to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 10, 11, and 12. For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he what? Eat. For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. Now them that are such we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ that with quietness, there we go, that same old course of study, they work and eat their own bread. There you go. There you go. Mark it down. Mark it down. Those two scriptures are vitally important for our understanding in this day of grace, this church age, how important it is for us not to be swept away by mere sympathy. Now, I'm glad I, we have two very industrious sons and their families are industrious. They're hard workers. Thank God for them. But if they were not, I would be inclined to make sure that the grandkids didn't starve. But I'm not so sure about our own flesh and blood. If they were lazy, I would say go to work. Go to work. Go to work. At some point, 40, 50, 60, 70, you've got to stop bailing them out. At some point, they've got to learn to do what they can. You say, well, now they're not able to hold a job. Is that because they're not physically able or because they just haven't submitted? And that's the key. They've not learned to be content. They're holding out for another job. What? Oh, you say governor, president, doesn't matter, senator. Something high paying with very little work. Doesn't require any talent. When it comes to the matter of work, we need to extol the virtues of it. Because it's not only that we're able to keep body and soul together and pay the rent, pay the, the automobile, pay the insurance bills, and so forth, but also it's the good that it does for us. It's what it does for us. The Mayo Brothers, who founded, not a mayonnaise company, <laughs> but the Mayo Clinic. The Mayo Brothers said, they have never seen a healthy man work himself to death. But they've seen many who rusted on the blade, so to speak. 
And that, you see, that about sums it up. Work's not a bad thing. I know there are people who have illnesses and unforeseen circumstances that come into their life. They become disabled. I understand how that is. The difference between the Hebrews and the Greeks, this is a real contrast. The Hebrews, uh, they promoted diligence. That's why you see King Saul plowing. You would never see Aristotle with a plow. Aristotle and all the Greek philosophers, they thought that work was beneath them. They should get slaves to do that. i got to say the difference is the difference between nobility and a lack of the same. Grace Noel Crowell wrote a poem called The Common Tasks. The common tasks are beautiful if we have eyes to see their shining ministry. The plowman with his share deep in the loam, with his share, that's his plow, deep in the loam. The carpenter whose skilled hands build a home. The gardener working with reluctant sod, faithful to his partnership with God. These are the artisans of life. And oh, a woman with her eyes and cheeks aglow, watching a kettle, tending a scarlet flame, guarding a little child. There is no name for the, these great ministries, and eyes are dull that do not see that they are beautiful, that do not see within the common tasks the simple answer to the thing God asks of any child, a pride within his breast, that at our given work, here it is, we do our best. That's missing. That's what's being sucked out of our society, out of, out of our homes and out of our businesses and out of our church and out of our government. You can sense, you can sense, if you go into a home or a business or a, a place, you can sense if work is getting done and there is, the, there is the, the satisfaction that comes with accomplishment. Finishing, finishing strong is so high on our list. The hands of Zerubbabel laid the foundation. His hands shall also finish it, it says in Zechariah 4, 9. Finish what we start. So to summarize what we've read tonight, is we have six commands for servants or employees. Here they are. Obey your masters. Be, be conscientious. Hardworking. Do not render eye service. Don't just look like you're working. Do the will of God from the heart. Render cheerful service. And number six, recognize that if you're not probably re properly recompensed by men, not paid back, you will be by God. We have three commands to masters. Behave in the same affectionate, conscientious manner toward your servants as they do toward you. Number two, do not threaten your servants. Number three, recognize that you have the same master as your servants and that there is no respecter of persons. God doesn't look on the outside. So there it is. We have... These commands. We don't want to make work seem like an unpleasant thing. Yet it's sad that when polled, over 60% of Americans say they hate to go to work. They hate their job. They hate their, their boss. They hate the middleman. They hate whoever's above them in middle management. This is all part of the loss of the grasp of biblical truth in our society. 
God allows us to work. He gives us our job. He gives us our opportunity. Let's treat it that way. Lord, another day for you. If the Bible continues to be devalued in our society, in our nation, then our work will continue to go down, and it's all part of the devil's plan, whereby people will hate work, and all of a sudden there'll be an end to our capitalist society, our Christian capitalist society, so much so that... Uh, that People will welcome the overthrow, not realizing that what's on the docket next is far worse. It's slavery. It's slavery. Him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is sin. I just want to kind of leave that with you and let you know that regardless of your profession, your wealth, your position, your poverty, or whatever circumstances you find yourself in, being diligent, being a faithful steward, will reap rewards in and of itself. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes, please? Every head bowed, every eye closed. How many of you tonight would say, Preacher, something in the message spoke to my heart. Slip your hand up high. Something spoke to my heart. Amen. Amen. We trust we'll have a, a new view of our responsibilities and what it is that God wants us to do and do you not do you know for sure that uh, you've been saved do you have assurance of salvation in your soul if tonight if you do not know that you're saved for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved would you pray right now from your heart to God something like this dear God I admit that I'm a sinner I deserve to pay for my sins I believe Jesus died to save me and right now I receive the Lord Jesus Christ into my heart as my personal Savior. Please take away my sins and take me to heaven when I die. If you prayed that prayer, would you slip your hand up? I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. We're going to sing together.